Welcome to Spectrum. Now your host, Jim Tofty. Welcome to the program. My lone special guest this morning is Donny Osmond, who, along with his sister Marie, just announced recently that this will be their final run of shows at the Flamingo here in Las Vegas. They will wrap up their 11-year residency at the end of 2019, and for those of you of a certain age, you probably became aware of the Osmond family when the four older brothers appeared on the Andy Williams TV show in the mid-60s. Well, Donny Osmond, who was four or five years old at the time, wasn't yet in the group, but wanted to be so badly that he practiced Andy Williams songs at home. When Andy heard about that, he said, I've got to have Donny on the show, too. And what you're about to hear is a very young and nervous Donny Osmond joining his brothers on the Andy Williams show. What is your name? Donny. Donny? Yes, sir. Well, how old are you? Five. Five, and you sing along with your brothers, huh? Yes, sir. Do you know, uh, yes, sir, that's my baby? Yes, sir. <laughs> well, now, how do we get started? Do you give a, do you conduct, or what happens? Of course, the Osmond brothers would become such a popular rock act that they were even treated like the Beatles over in the UK. Then, of course, Donnie would go on to have his own solo career, as would Marie, and the two of them became an even more popular singing duo, eventually having their own TV show. Let's talk about the past and the future right now with Donnie Osmond. I seem to recall... You being floored when I brought up the fact that when the Osmond brothers were on the road back in the 70s, mm-hmm. that the way you guys would pass time was with these cutthroat Yahtzee tournaments. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. true. That's all we had back then, you know? I know. Well, we had congr- Xbox or anything, you know? Yeah, I know. Well, congratulations, by the way, on what must be kind of a bittersweet end to yours and Marie's show at the Flamingo. Boy, that is the right uh, phrase to say. It is bittersweet. You know, after it was supposed to be six weeks, and and we're going to finally wrap it up in November, and that'll be eleven years. So from six weeks to eleven years, we uh, we couldn't have asked for anything better than that. Of course, Marie, I think, recently appeared on Andy Cohen's show and said that you announce this every year, and it's never true. Well, we both announced it every year. She, she puts <laughs> right? the onus on me all the time. But you know, yeah, we've always talked about you know moving on, and we talked about that after our first year, and. Uh, but, you know, it's now seems like the right time. Marie wants to do some things. I've got some. Th- I want to go clear my head a little bit, take a little time off and work on my uh, my album. It's my 62nd album. And I want to make sure that this one is uh, is really, really good. That is so hard to believe. I get, Do you when you think about that? Because you think about, you know, artists, other artists like, for instance, the Beatles, who did what? Uh, maybe 10, a dozen albums. Yeah. And you've just been so prolific over the years. So are you talking to different people about what the album might consist of? Oh, yeah. Quite a few people. Did some writing with a lot of different people. I won't disclose any of that yet, but uh, yeah. there's some interesting people that I'm working with. Uh, you know, I've, I've always been the one, the kind of artist that reinvents themselves and, and, and comes out with different different kinds of things, unexpected things. I mean, the most recent one was the, the Peacock on The Masked Singer. 
Yes. You know, just reinventing and trying to trying new and different things. And that's what this album I want to be some different musical departures. And I want it to be original. Uh, I've done a lot of cover albums and things like that, but this one is going to be quite personal. So I really want to, uh, to take the, some time off and do it right and write some hopefully prolific lyrics to it. You know, you and I are about the same age. And do you think that at this point in our lives that it all kind of starts to become a little more serious, doesn't it? I know what you're saying, because the older we get, the more jaded we become. But I've always tried to maintain a, a youthful outlook on life. My yeah. wife and I have kind of a funny uh, saying. We had five boys, but she raised six because I'm, I'm yes. still a child, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, sometimes she'll turn to me and say, will you please grow up? Because I just act <laughs> like the kids at the house. But I know exactly what you're saying. Sometimes you can get a little too serious in life because as we look at what's going on in the world, it's it's serious. I mean, there's, there's wars, there's rumors of wars, there's people just upset with each other and the politics gets in the way. You know, it's like, yeah, it, you can actually get that way. But I choose to just have fun, for instance. And I think this is one of the reasons, Jim, why our show has lasted so long here on the Strip, is that Marie and I work really, really hard at making sure that it looks easy, it looks fun, and people actually enjoy themselves. And they walk out, you know, a changed person and, and really feeling better about life. That's what we try to do. And we've been knocked at, at it uh, all our lives and made fun of, you know, the goody two-shoes kind of thing. But, you know, it works. It, I'd rather have an optimistic outlook on life and boy, I sure have my bad days too. Don't get me wrong. It's uh, I'm I'm very human in that respect, but I choose to try to stay optimistic as much as possible. Do you think having a big family kind of around you helps you maintain all that youthfulness and and uh, just that sense of family anyway? Well, I know I don't know any other way, so I'm going to say yes. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of happy, uh, you know, um, one and only child uh, children that come from from that kind of a cir- circumstance. But I, I have really enjoyed growing up in a big family. Uh, my wife and I have 10 grandchildren. When they come over, it's pure chaos in the house. <laughs> we absolutely love it. And uh, so, yeah, I think, I think it has maintained a little bit of my youth. You mentioned it. You were the peacock on The Masked Singer. Right. How, how long did you have to keep that secret? A year. A I signed year. contract about a year ago. We taped it last May, and I've had to keep it a secret all that time. And what's really interesting, Jim, I didn't know who I was competing against until you found out when you watched it on television. <laughs> right. Because I would do my my part and they would whisk me out of the studio and I couldn't see anybody else. Couldn't talk to anybody else. I had to wear a mask the entire time I was there, even in rehearsals. The dancers didn't even know who I was. Uh, the, the stage crew didn't know who I was. Nobody. Just the producers. I, I didn't even know if the director knew who I was. But uh, I was waiting, and this is for the first time I was going to go out. I was the first singer, first performer on Mass Singer. And I was backstage in this little cubicle, guards. Nobody could come into this little place. I was just sitting by myself, mask off, on a, sitting on a little table next to me. And this guy walks in the room. And I immediately <laughs> cover my face. I said, sure, sir, you can't be in here. And he says, no, it's okay. You can look up. It was the president of Fox. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you could be in here. (laughs) I guess I had heard the story that one of your grandsons had this intuition and kind of, and asked you, is that you up there? Yeah, it was a little Truman, and I couldn't say anything. And I said, no, he said, Grandpa, is that you? 
are you the peacock? And I said, oh, you know, I think it's somebody else. I didn't want to out and out lie to him, right? But uh, when he found out, I said, Grandpa, you lied to me. <laughs> but we had a good laugh at it. Yeah, I remember when I was in grade school, my dad, who was the principal of our grade school, dressed up as Santa Claus. I was in third grade. I remember this very clearly. Yeah. And I figured out it was him because he had wingtip shoes on and Santa would never have worn wingtips. Oh, wing tips. my goodness. I know. Oh, dear. No, Santa would never wear those. So I liked what you said, and I th- you just said it uh, a while ago, that this really was a way for you to kind of reinvent yourself and start over as a performer doing this. Well, think about it, Jim. You know, when, when you walk on stage, uh, uh, let's take me, for example. I walk on stage, people see my face, and whether they like my music or not, it comes with baggage. Good or bad, it comes with my history. But the cool thing about The Masked Singer, and I was actually the first one that they called. Dina Katz was the one that called me, and she's the one that booked me on Dancing with the Stars. So I've known Dina for quite some time. She said, you're my first call. Here's the show. And she laid it out. I got it immediately. And she says, I'm having such a hard time booking people on this show because it sounds silly. And I said, no, I get the joke. Believe me. Book me immediately. And uh, because when I put that mask on, all 12 of us up there, Check our resumes at the door. We become nobody. We've got to start over. Now, for somebody who's been doing this for 56 years, that is such a cool challenge. I've got to start over and, and win this audience over and not have any history behind me. Uh, no statistics, nothing. And, and that, that was a cool challenge for me. And particularly when I'm up there on stage and I'm working it like crazy, dancing, singing, and it was all live <laughs> as well. And all these millennials out in the audience going, Peacock, Peacock, they're in love with Peacock. And they had no idea it was me. (laughs) That is hysterical. And I could see some performers just going, I can't do this. Well, you know what's funny, Jim, is that Dina Katz, who I just mentioned, she called me after everything was over, and she said, my phone is ringing off the hook. Everybody wants to do it now. And you were the first. That is great. Maybe the Peacock could go on tour now. Well, yeah. I, I put it in our Vegas show. I, I put a little uh, highlight reel, you know, 30 seconds of it or whatever. And the audience goes crazy. And uh, I say this this funny line in there. says, you know, they're placing bets here in Las Vegas as to who the Peacock was. And I turned to the bet. Do you know who they were betting the monster was? They said, who? It's my sister. <laughs> <laughs> I came up with a great line the other night and kind of fit it, kind of fit it in the show somewhere. And I tried it one time and the audience loved it. And the line goes like this, you know, performing here in Las Vegas with my sister is like playing craps. Yeah. My, my part of the show is great. Hers is crap. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I heard that clearing rights to songs was not that easy on this show. Actually, initially, actually, I got a great story for you about that. Um, the producers called me and says, what do you want to sing? This is going to be the first song that starts it all out. And I said, this is the greatest, or the greatest show from The Greatest Showman. This is the greatest show. It's perfect. Yeah. Perfect yeah. to open it up with. Ladies and gents, this is the moment you've been waiting for. And it just goes crazy, right? That's what the vision was in my mind. So they called me back and said the publisher won't clear it. I said, well, they just don't know what the show is. They said, they're all wearing masks. It sounds silly. And we have to protect our music because it's such a big movie. I said, dang it. So I said, give me one day. And I found an instrumental online. I downloaded it, put my vocal on it, sent it back to the producers. And I said, walk this over to the publisher. Okay. So they walk in and the publisher said, guys, I told you no. Can't have the song. They said, just listen to this. And they played my version of it. 
And they said, who is that? They said, we can't tell you. All we can say is it's going to be a peacock. And he said, uh, well, based upon what I just heard, the song is yours. <laughs> That's <laughs> so great. So I got the song, the perfect song to open up that series. By the way, you were already a good dancer before Dancing with the Stars, but that was one of the hardest things you've ever done, isn't it? And I was doing Vegas at the same time. Five yeah. days a week in Vegas and Dancing with the Stars at the same time. I don't know how I did it. And it served you well, didn't it? It really did. It opened up a whole new audience for me, as well as uh, my singer. That, that did the same thing, really. Little kids uh, recognized me now. Just, it doesn't matter what I've done in my, my career. I am now the peacock, because they, they said, uh, yeah. they say, wow, you're the peacock. But Dancing hey. with the Stars, when I won that thing, it, uh, it just really gave another surge. It was another reinvention, as it were. At your show with Marie, you do show clips of your days when you were with Andy Williams and, and singing Moon River as part of the show. That has to be really touching to you, not only for you, but also the audience, because we all know what a deep connection you, you guys had with, with Andy Williams. Probably my favorite part of the show, because the way I set it up, I let them know that I made my debut in this business on his show when I was five years old. And then I go into uh, a whole story about watching him from the wings and, and falling in love with that song, Moon River. And as we go into it, start singing it, there's a video clip of me, five years old, singing on his lap and making that debut. It really is touching. And uh, like I said, one of my favorite parts of the show. How did he find you guys, the Osmond brothers? Well, it was actually Walt Disney, really. My brothers, um, do you know? remember the Lennon sisters? Yes. Okay, the Lennon sisters knew my brothers, or knew my family, and they got an, uh, a meeting with uh, Lawrence Welk, who wanted to be on the Lawrence Welk show, right? And so they drove all the way down from Utah to Los Angeles, and Lawrence wouldn't see them. He says, he's too busy today. So my dad, being the great dad that he is, or was, he said, well, let's make a vacation out of it. They went to Disneyland, and we didn't have a lot of money back then, so my mom would get go out and get all this material and make all of our clothes. And so we all looked alike. And so my four brothers, I was too young at the time, but my four yeah. brothers were walking down the streets of Disneyland and they looked like a little barbershop quartet, which they were. Right. right. And the Dapper Dans, who still play, they still have the Dapper Dans uh, on the main street in Disneyland, saw my brothers and asked them if they were a quartet. They said, well, we sing songs once in a while. They said, we'll sing us a song. So they sang him a song, the Dapper Dan sang my brother's song. It kept going back and forth like a little competition, like it was an attraction on the streets of Disneyland, and all these people gathered around. And so they said, well, we got to take you into our boss, who was Tommy Walker. He listened to them. And said, he said, you got to play in front of Walt himself. So they sang in front of Walt. Walt put him on a couple television shows called Disney After Dark, and that's where Andy Williams' father saw them and called up his son and said, Andy, you got to put these kids on your show. And so they went and auditioned for Andy, blew them away, and they became semi-regulars on the Andy Williams show. That gave them their national exposure, and then I joined the group. And I know that PBS has run this great Christmas special that showed the best of Andy Williams' Christmas specials, and you are interviewed on this special. One of the greatest scenes is the Osmond brothers singing with the Williams brothers. Very complicated material, by the way. Well... Yes, I remember that moment. And keep in mind, there's no backup 
There's no auto-tune. Everything was just pure live. Right. And, and those are the days where you really had to know how to sing in order to get out there and, and do harmonies like that. And this is where my ear was trained. All those years of singing with my brothers, you can't listen to yourself. You've got to listen to the blend. And that's the problem with a lot of these boy bands today or fact, uh, manufactured uh, bands. Bring all these great singers together. They don't know how to blend. So that real hardcore sibling harmonies um, it doesn't really exist anymore because nobody listens to the other singer. They're all soloists, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. It, yeah. It it just is a very hard craft to find these days because everybody's a soloist. You know, it happens to a few artists who are from America who travel to the U.K., but why was it that the Osmond Brothers and your family was so huge over there? You know, I haven't been able to answer that question. I've been asked quite a bit, but it was absolutely, absolutely huge. They called it Osmond Mania, but from yeah. Mania to Osmond Mania. And the timing was right. The whole image was right. Uh, the Jackson 5 were hitting at the same time. It was, the music scene was just right. We're coming off of all of this, um, uh, you know, the Vietnam thing was, was going on. and Everybody just wanted to have some great music and just enjoy what these boy bands, the original boy bands, were doing. And um, so the timing was right. But I, I go back and I listen to some of the stuff that we've done. And this may sound a little egotistical, and I apologize if it comes across that way, but... yeah. Man, we were good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> was it Mike Kerb who was involved in that? Because the production was just stunning. Yeah, Mike Kerb was instrumental in introducing us to a guy by the name of Rick Hall. And Rick is the guy, the mastermind behind One Bad Apple. Yeah. And he he uh, produced down in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. And that's where we really got started as far as our recording career is concerned. He's the one that brought that real R&B soul uh, sound out from us. And then we started stepping away, getting into the rock and roll. However, and this is kind of sad in a way, the Osmond brothers were really going in a very rock and roll direction. Crazy Horses and Down by the Lazy River. Incidentally, yeah. Ozzy Osbourne told me, he uh, said that uh, Crazy Horses is one of his favorite rock and roll songs. Yes, and without a doubt. Yeah, but that was the direction that we were going as a band. But I also had this parallel career, solo career, that was real teeny bopperish, you know, sweet and innocent, yeah. go away, little girl, puppy love, and all that stuff. And it eclipsed anything we're doing as a band. And it was really kind of sad because we were really a progressive rock and roll band at the time. Yeah. People think, oh, yeah, that's far from the truth. But it is the truth. If you really dig down to what we were doing, um, like there's a song called Hold Her Tight. And very reminiscent, reminiscent of, you know, Led Zeppelin or The Who. In fact, this is an interesting story. My brother Alan, uh, after we had completed the album called The Plan, he white-labeled the, the LP and took it down to uh, one of the uh, rock and roll stations in Los Angeles. I can't remember which station it was now. But he took it down there and sat down with the program director and the music director. He said, my name is Alan from a new band. I'd like you to hear this album that we just did. And he played the tracks. He's, and the, the music director and the program director said, we got to play this. This is for really strong progressive rock and roll. This reminds me of The Who and, and Zeppelin and all these bands. What's yeah. the name of the band? And Alan said, We're actually, it's actually the Austin Brothers. <laughs> they looked at him and they said, this is a quote. This is a quote. 
I'm sorry, we can't play that on the Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. But it was all because of Donny Osmond's career. <laughs> you know, as powerful as it was, and as great as it was, my career kind of, like I said, eclipsed the rock and roll career. That's interesting. I've, I've but never... I was part of both bands. I was part of both sides. Yeah, I've never heard it put that way. That's really that's really interesting. Your show with Marie, the variety TV show that you did, was so very popular. I mean, you had great guest stars on the show, but I heard one of the guest stars you were not so fond of was Groucho Marx. Well, I had no problem with him. I thought it was yeah. cool. Marie yeah. had a problem with him because he was a dirty old man. He kept pinching her in the, in, in the butt. Yeah. And um, so... Uh, and the problem is too bad. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, his his doctor, or nurse, was with him, and uh, they said that if his blood pressure goes up at all, you know, if he gets nervous or anything, we have to pull him from the show. Right. Fine. We just want to get him on tape. So he's sitting down, and we made the biggest mistake. We had these scantily clad dancers come out, <laughs> and they were dancing around him. Oh, no. And he got all excited, and he, he just got kind of got you know, very, like I said, very excited. His blood pressure went up, and we only got half the song, and they pulled him. So we had to cut it from the show. But I'm thinking, that's okay. We still have a half a song of Groucho Marx on our show. Yeah, they bulk erased the tape. No. Yes. <laughs> Somebody made a decision that well, he's not going to be on the show, and we need this tape. You know, because tape was pretty precious back then. Yeah. Um, we need this tape, so let's bulk erase it and erased over it. And there's no home movie of it or anything like that? that Nothing. Is... Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> One of the tragedies in life. Yeah, that is hysterical. That is really good. By the way, the, the show you and Marie did, too, the daytime talk show, I was a big fan of. Is that something that you personally are interested in doing again, something like that? I mean, what is your, besides the album? I really don't know, Jim. It's, it's, these days, you, know, you have to be ready to turn on a dime. Uh, as I said on uh, Good Morning America, you know, it's the end of Donnie and Marie uh, right now here in Vegas, but it's not the end of Donnie and Marie. I yeah. think Donnie and Marie could do something like that again in the future if it makes sense for her career and my career at the same time. We're always going to find something to do. Uh, you never know. Don't, don't ever close the door on it. Maybe back here in Vegas someday. I don't know. But at this point in time, uh, it is the most opportune time for both of us to spread our wings and, and focus on our own individual careers which, contrary to popular belief, we actually do have our own careers <laughs> outside of <laughs> Donnie and Marie, but um, you never know what could happen in the future. Because, you and know, Marie, the... so, she's such a talented woman, and I really enjoy working with her um, here in this Vegas show. It's just so congruent. Probably a lot of it has to do with the fact that we're siblings, but it really goes on uh, much more than that. We're really strong and close professionals on stage together. So that's the bittersweet part of it. That's the bitter part of the bittersweet. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like there's uh, something telepathic between you two when you're on stage, right? Yeah, that's a good word to, to explain it. By the way, what was it like for you guys to sound the siren at the Golden Knights game recently? I challenge you to find anyone to ring that siren as well as I did it. Did it. <laughs> right. I went on and on and on. It was awesome. And the crowd yeah. roar was unbelievable. It was amazing. Isn't that something? I mean, have you been to uh, many games? No, I haven't. Barely made the show. We had to delay our show when we did that because our show starts at 730. 
and we had to delay it by 15 minutes. It's not easy to, to get in and out of there, is it? No, no, not at all. I, I wish you guys the best. Donnie and Marie at the Flamingo, now through, I guess, November 16th is the final final yeah, day? Yeah, that's the well, last one. Yeah. Funny, because the show sold out, and uh, I wanted to get my family into it, and they said, sorry, no more tickets available. <laughs> <laughs> you just don't have... tickets to my own show. Yeah, you don't have much pull there, do you? I don't. I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Donnie. Good luck to you. Hope to talk to you again soon as soon as uh, we find out what uh, your next thing is. It's always great to talk to you, buddy. You too, Jim. Take care. Good luck getting tickets. Of course, there will be some available because they will do so many shows between now and November before that closing night. And you know that there will be several special guest stars along the way. Get in touch with the Flamingo Box Office for more info. That brings us to the end of this fun edition of the program. I do hope to see you back here next Sunday morning at 7.30. Spectrum is hosted, written, and produced by Jim Tofty. If you have suggestions on future guests or topics, please send them to spectrum at smiradio.com.